The Catholic Channel Sirius XM 129 presents Just Love with your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, Executive Director of Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of New York. Welcome to Just Love. I'm Monsignor Kevin Sullivan. I'm here with Tom Dobbins, who every week does such a good job in rounding up interesting guests to for us to speak with on Just Love. And Yolanda is with us, who is making sure that everybody can be heard well. So um, thank you for being with us uh, on this uh, session of Just Love, where we talk about what's going on in the world from the perspective of our Catholic values. And those values, just to kind of at a very high level, we're going to talk about them. But you know what I think I want to do today? I think I want to kind of put Tom on the spot. And he doesn't know I'm going to put him on the spot, but I'm going to do that now. Hey, Tom, can you, for the sake of our our listeners, could you kind of just very briefly uh, run down what are our major social values that we kind of continue consider the kind of the cohort of of points that are at the center of our teaching about the church in the world and and those values? Come on, this is a little bit of a test, but I know you know this inside and out, so it's like I'm giving you uh, a fastball down the middle. Okay, sounds good, Monsignor. Well, I mean, I'm 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 taking up the bat, and I'm about to take the swing. Um, the first is uh, the first principle is the life and dignity of every human person created in the image and likeness of God. The yeah, you get sec- one. Okay, terrific. Okay, very good. And then the second is a corollary to that. The second is the call to family, community, and participation which, you know, kind of brings out to the fore the fact that Catholic social teaching, the human person is not inherent, not only inherently sacred, but is also inherently social. Okay. So, and then the third oh, is- You get two, oh. that's right. <laughs> and then the third is rights and responsibilities of, in Catholic social teaching. You know, we believe that uh, human beings as as embodied uh, images of God have have human rights and rights that you know, they can they can call upon for other people to treat them well. But as a corollary to that, we also have the responsibility to do our duty, to do well, and to kind of um, respect the rights of other people. So okay. that's number three. Uh, number four is uh, the um, option for the poor and the vulnerable. And this kind of option once here goes all the way back to the teachings of the prophets in the Old Testament that when uh, God was kind of judging the Israelites on how they were keeping the covenant, uh, he would have a certain, if you will, number of indicators um, that he would kind of uh, bring up to them. And it was always how people on the margins were being treated. And, and those people in biblical times were the widows, uh, the orphans, and the aliens, not meaning people from outer space, but people amongst us from other places. And uh, so depending on how they were faring, and if the Israelites were treating them well, then that meant that God was pleased and that the Israelites were keeping the covenant. So that was the, that's the fourth. Okay, then, good, good. Then, Keep going. Then, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying. Then the fifth is um, the dignity of work and rights of workers, which is a particular, you know, understanding in Catholic social teaching. You know, we take, you know, the right, uh, you know, the responsibility to work and uh, very seriously in our uh, teaching. Uh, it goes all the way back to uh, the first papal encyclical that dealt with social issues, which was Rerum Novarum from 1891. Uh, and we have a very profound understanding of the importance of work, the responsibility of work. Uh, and that's another key part of our Catholic social teaching. Um, then the sixth one senior is the understanding of human solidarity, um, that our 
responsibility to protect our neighbor not only extends across the street, but across the world. And that uh, we are one big human family, all six billion of us. And so we all have, when we talk about those rights and responsibilities, we believe everyone around the world has those rights. And so therefore we have the responsibility to wind up doing our best to helping people around the world. And the very last one we see here is the tree hugger one. Uh, it's care of God's creation. Yeah. <laughs> I would say, and that one is uh, obviously when God created the world, uh, God created the world. He gave it to us as stewards. And so we're called to care for the world in a way that is respectful of the gift that is creation that God gives. Okay. Tom, good points. Great uh, presentation. But you know what? Now you get on to go a little bit further. So I got a couple okay. other questions for you. Okay. Okay. Now, over the years, you have, um, you've taught Catholic kind of social values teaching kind of in a, in a way to those men who have decided to commit themselves as deacons. Mm -hmm. Talk to us a little bit about that experience of teaching the men to be, who are going to be deacons about Catholic social teaching. Sure, Monsieur. Well, you know, to me, it was a terrific opportunity because, you know, if you think about the diaconate, um, when the apostles and the acts of the apostles kind of came together and they, they were, talking about those in the community who are on the margins, the widows and the orphans, um, they were saying, who's going to wind up taking care of those people? And so the, the, the diaconate rose up within the community to take care of those on, on the margins to really wind up helping them. So I always felt it, you know, really essential that when we were teaching the deacons, we would be able to teach them uh, these social teachings of the church and how to apply them, not just to know them, because it's all fine and good that we can, like the Ten Commandments, there are seven principles of Catholic social teaching, we can rattle them off. That's important. But even more important in the social teaching is that we put them into practice. And so what we were able to do when we were teaching the deacons was we were able to give them methods to put them into practice. You know, for example, obviously working for Catholic Charities, we were able to connect those deacons up with the good works that we do here in Catholic Charities, the Archdiocese of New York. Um, and then we also were able through kind of some of, you know, the work that we also do here, we were also able to connect people up with um, Catholic Relief Services uh, we were able to connect people up with uh, uh, Catholic Near East Welfare Association, with other organizations that are doing good work around the world um, that, you know, when they're kind of putting those principles into practice, they could also wind up um, connecting up that way, too. So so in reality, Monsignor, I think that that was a really great opportunity and we were able to develop some good relationships from that. And, uh, and, and some of those relationships continue today. So I always appreciated that. I always thought that was a really great way. Uh, for us to be able to not just kind of promulgate the teachings, but to put them into practice. Tom, let me let me uh, uh, kind of phrase this in a little bit of a way to give you an opportunity to kind of reflect on the reactions that you got in your teaching over the years. I mean, sometimes people say, well, wait a minute, hold on. What the church is really about is it's about the sacraments. It's about um, people coming to church. It's about praying to God. You know, when we get into the social thing, that's political or it's social work or it's things like that. So when you kind of spoke to the deacons about that, I don't want to say pushback, but did you get any sense from some of them? Well, you know, how's this got to do with Jesus and how does this have to do with, um, you know, what is really at the core of the gospel? Yeah, you know, uh, like occasionally, Monsignor, we we did. We got into that when we got into a little bit about we would do a segment on on faithful citizenship, 
So we did get into a little bit of that because, you know, faithful citizenship kind of said, well, you know, as Christians, we have the responsibility to be leavened in the world. And so we're supposed to kind of bring our values out to the public square. And one of the ways we do that is we obviously, we do it through through advocacy. We do it through educating people about issues and helping them to make good decisions when they're voting. So whenever we did that, we would sometimes get a little pushback. But other than that, I would say probably because the group of men were kind of self-selected. You know, these are men who obviously were interested in devoting four years of their lives to study, you know, church teaching and to helping people. So a lot of times they kind of got that we as Christians do owe a responsibility to our brothers and sisters. I mean, you know, we didn't really get a lot of pushback when it came to delivering direct services or delivering help. It was when we got into the advocacy pieces, sometimes we got a little bit of pushback. But when you had a conversation with them, they would kind of understand that the way that the modern world it works the way it affects is that, you know, for the vast majority of people, you know, if they don't have access to someone who can give them direct help, they need access to other kinds of help. And it's through advocacy, we can kind of get that help to those people. So when they understood that portion, I think they got it. Okay, Tom, thank you so much for sharing that with our, with our listeners. Um, Because what you've just talked about is pretty much the foundation of what we try to do in Just Love is to take those seven or so core values of our Catholic uh, moral teaching as it impacts the world and look at what's going on in our world using them. So, Tom, thank you very much for that. Um, You know, our first guest um, this uh, week is Father Alexis um, Bastidas, who is currently the pastor of St. Teresa's Parish on Henry Street in the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Now, the reason why um, we've asked uh, Father Alex to be with us today is because of the experience that the country is having, but particularly um, Texas, but also New York and Washington, D.C., with the upsurge of people from Venezuela who are kind of fleeing difficult situations there and difficult is a little bit of an understatement to see the safety and opportunity in the United States. And Father Alex is actually himself a priest in the Archdiocese of New York, but he began not only his life, but he also began as a priest in Venezuela. So he brings a tremendous uh, experience And he's been in New York for about, oh, 30 years or so. He's been a priest of the Archdiocese of New York for over a decade. And so I am just very, very grateful that uh, Father Alex Bastidas has agreed to kind of join us and to help share experiences with our listeners and with me about his situation. Father Alex, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us on Just Love. Well, thank you for the invitation. It's a very important uh, for me, my community and for the church at large to understand and what is happening and to seek the best way to you know, answer to this important call that the poor is presented to us today or in this period of time. So, so Father Alex, so our listeners can get a little bit of sense of, of, of you. Uh, tell us a little bit about your own background in Venezuela and a little bit of 
kind of what you were doing there and then your decision to come to the United States. Okay, oh, it's a long story. Well, I was born in Venezuela in the Andes area. I was ordained as a priest in 1982. Uh, next week, next month, I celebrate my 40 years of priesthood. And um, I I came to New York I, after working so in my diocese. And um, for some situation that my boss has it, um, I choose, I was in a, like a moment to figure out if I go to Rome or, or other place. And I always think in, that New York was suited me better than Rome, which for many people was crazy, but it was my decision. So, oh, wait a minute, Father Alex. <laughs> no, no, it's sorry. true. It's true. I'm sorry. You made the right choice. I mean, I know. Yeah, <laughs> New, New York over Rome. Uh, you know, yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. I'm, but people, my classmates are no, to, until today, talk about, <laughs> but I'm happy about it. So, right. in the sense that, so I had the experience to work in the period of the, when Venezuela was a democracy, a very strong one, and a very wealthy country. And uh, we have some trouble, like every nation has it, but um, we have hope and plans and so forth. But the politics changed in 1990 plus. But I came to New York in 1992. So I have in New York 30 years. And I were always as a priest in the archdiocese. And um, I become incarnated like 10 years ago or something like that, or a little bit. So, but the, my experience is I always work um, uh, with, um, we call char- Caritas, which is uh, uh, Catholic Charities in, in Venezuela. In fact, the priest, that the bishop who run uh, Carita, uh, Catholic Charities for Latin America is my classmate, the Archbishop Jose Luis Asuaje Ayala. And um, we have a profound sense that, that the best way sometimes that the church has to reach uh, some poor that we don't reach uh, as a parishioner or as a priest is through the uh, Caritas or, or, or Caritas Catolicas. In the sense, they have the programs, they have the experience, and they can school a priest, a parish, to really uh, help in the process to the people who no one help. And uh, in, in Latin America, it's very common. And in Venezuela, after the revolution, the situation started to become very difficult. And people start to leave the country for, for, because they don't have uh, source of uh, survive life itself. After we have everything, we don't have now people walking around Latin America and coming to the United States. Um, and uh, the situation is uh, every day more complex. And um, what I learned in the process is like uh, we have to overcome uh, politicians or so on and so forth and go straight to the gospel. Do what the gospel asks you to do and do it with love and passion and finding caritas and finding caritas, uh, Catholic, um, you know, organizations, inspiration, uh, uh, orientation that we can really help the people who really are in need. Today, this situation is worse. And uh, you see people living only through Colombia or South America, but from South America, from Chile, is coming walking people to the United States, which is something very, very complex to explain for so many people. Now, why you leave your country when you have, and go to suffer in another country where you as uh, you know, supposed to be 
So, so Father Alex, let me let me stop you for just a second. Sure. And you began to talk about, and without getting overly political, but you talked about the socioeconomic changes in Venezuela that you've seen over your years. So I know you said a little bit about it, but the changes that have now made Venezuela the third largest country in the world in which there are refugees. Yeah. There are, there are more than 6 million refugees. Six million who have led. continue to be growing. So, growing. So, so paint a picture for our listeners. What's the, not the socioeconomic, why are people leaving? What's so, my words, what's so bad about it that 6 million people are saying, I have to leave my home country. What's yeah. what are they experiencing? Is it when you don't have food, when you don't have healthy uh, environment, when you don't have work, when you don't have anything, when you don't have hope that that uh, you can have a better life for you or your family, when you are sick, when you are you know in desperation, that the situation is so bad that I describe it. Desperation is the uh, how say the the way that the thing that moved so many people to leave houses, to leave everything in the back and go to find work somewhere. And, um, but it's every day more complex because uh, the, the money is um, now we are, you know, arranged the economy in dollars. And uh, because our money is paper, is no have any value. So many people become so poor, for example, if you have your money, you save your money in your bank because you work, you are a professor, for example, or a doctor, or a, or a nurse, or whatever. You, you put your money in the bank to, 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 to you know, like a, a normal people do. In one day, you become, a, you have nothing. So, and uh, you see people who are very well educated, people who have a talent, so on and so forth, become poor, but really poor. It said that the only thing that they have is knowledge. Or the thing that I have in the university, or the because they don't have how they can don't have tools to to sustain the, the quality life of the family or themselves. So that, for the Alex, reason, let me let me let me stop you for just a second because I want to translate that for our listeners here in the United States. Is even though they have money in the bank, is the reason why they're poor or it does isn't worth much? Does that have to do with what we usually call inflation? Well, no, that has to do with corruption, which is okay. different. In okay. the sense that, in this, it's like, I put you an example. No? You have your saving in dollars. No? If right. For some situation, uh, uh, for you know, bad administration, they rob everything. So right. your, your money become paper. Right. So you go to the bank and you have for your dollar, but your dollar worth uh, nothing. You don't have to know any value. So okay. you, you become crazy. You, you, you begin, this is a very complex situation because it, it's not like a, you don't work. It's not like a, the, 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 the fruit of your work is nothing. Right, right. So that so, inspiration moves people to leave the country. Right, okay. So we're speaking with Father Alex Bacidas, who is currently the pastor of St. Teresa's Parish, in the Lower East Side of Manhattan. He was born in Venezuela and he came to the United States in 19, 
82. He's now a priest of the Archdiocese of New York. So, Father Alex, let's go a little bit further because Mm -hmm. I have been impressed. And for our listeners, a few Saturdays ago, I went down to Father Alex's parish on a Saturday morning. And just about the same time that many of you are listening to this show, and just to see the tremendous opening and outpouring of hospitality in his parish in St. Teresa's. So tell us a little bit about what you have been doing at St. Teresa's to welcome the thousands of Mm -hmm. Venezuelan asylum seekers, migrants who are in New York since the middle of the summer. The first thing that I um, um, I thought it was that uh, is to coordinate the effort to find people in the city, organization in the city who can approach this situation, and together start to answer to this situation. Um, and um, because it, it, for every one of us, it's like a surprise. So it, believe me, you know, in New York you don't get surprise, but mm-hmm. <laughs> I was literally surprise in the sense they see my people like a homeless in the street for first time in my life so i start to figure out other organizations um to help to organize how we can answer this because this is it's no no one was prepared for so i find that, that i can use my whole i can use my relations to create a, like a the first answer so now we are in the process that, that um, many organizations uh, are, you know, put together and to create a service for them. Um, but I have my worries also because some people try to sometimes to use politics, so on and so forth. With, for me, it's a very complex issue. But um, I find, for example, I'm very, you know, grateful to, to uh, Caridades Católicas because I found in them a, a very friendly um, environment in that we can, as a parish, um, you know, do what a parish is supposed to do, to help the poor or the poorest of the poor. So I'm very, I'm, I have to say to everyone who listens to this program, if you can help, you help through Caridades Católicas. You go there, you do the donation, you use the volunteer time, wherever you, but try to always, because my experience through my whole life is that they are serious people who do serious things and uh, don't in doing because they have values who sustain them in that process, particular yeah. Christian values. So for me, it's a struggle because in the city, you know very well that everyone has its own point of view, so on and so forth. And put together people to do this kind of work is very difficult. Tomorrow we have, a, or today, as you listen today, the program, we have a other, you know, service in which there are many organizations come, inclusive Caritas, to Caridades Católicas to help the people. But in the future, I already started conversations with, with uh, Monsignor Sullivan and his team that we have to make sure that we do uh, the best we can to help these people in this situation. So, so Father Alex, let working me, with people. So let me, let me talk to you and uh, thank you for the very kind words about Uh, Caritas or Catholic Charities. Listen, to our listeners, let me just do a little bit of of why we use those two words, Caritas and and Catholic Charities. Um, 
it is basically the same organization. It just happens that in almost every other country of the world, that organization is referred to by the Latin name Caritas. But in the United States, for whatever reason, it's referred to as Catholic Charities. But when you hear Catholic Charities, and you may say if, if somebody's from another country, well, what is that? It, I know Caritas. Well, it's the same organization. We just have a, a different name for it here. Um, but now let me say something why. And again, this goes back to our kind of Catholic social mission. Um, Catholic Charities in the United States and elsewhere does have a fair amount of professional expertise in providing those services in a way that truly help people promote dignity and provide some hope that they can move forward. And that requires a lot of skilled people. However, so that that work doesn't become merely bureaucratic, it is so important that it is connected with the community which real human needs. And that is the value of our Catholic parishes, that they are on the ground. They are in the communities. They have relationships with people. So the strongest relationships that we have as the Catholic Church are when we bring that professional expertise, combine it with grassroots community-based presence, that that can be a very, very uh, effective witnessing to the love of Jesus in the communities we have it. So we're really happy that this crisis of asylum seekers is providing an opportunity to build services so that the church can be even more present. And it doesn't happen overnight, but you do something, then you do something else that, that needs to be done. Um, Father Alex Bastidas, um, let me let me ask you to share with our listeners. Because people ask me this, so you've been having these kind of sad day um, open house where people come in, close information, other services. From your being part of that, what do you see as the kind of some of the major needs or the major hopes that the people coming in have? Wow, this is a very complex thing. Yeah. Uh, but we start in the, in the they my what I see in the eyes of these people, they see they they're hope. They are looking for a new life. That's the value of it. They say they want to find place to work, they want to do something about it so the, the, the life can change. So for me, this is a very important value, you know. It's not like uh, the other element that I see is that, um, that, thank God to the people who are working here in St. Teresa, is dignity. So that, that you don't lose because you are poor or in trouble, you lose your dignity as a person. So the value when I see you here, other people with you working with me or, you know, looking about it. So it's three people with dignity because to be poor is is is, is complex for, for everyone. But when you don't have the sense of the values of the gospel, so on and so forth, we try to make things that there are statistics or something like that. I know people. So we have to figure out always 
if you want to help here, you have to give or recognize the dignity of human being, which is in a very difficult situation. And um, that that made them, they give you hope and, and made them strong in the situation. No? Because um, it was recently, and I won't say who, who did it, but I was very, my heart was broken. I was in a meeting with some priests recently. And uh, and uh, I know the canon law is important. I know very well so so many things. But the, the comments that the priest do, I'm sorry that I said that to talk about this because it's happened to a priest, happened to every Catholic person, well, some Catholic people, and said that, um, how come these people come here and this is a, with a bag of fruit in front of the 1011 and uh, asking for help in the Catholic charity to navigate or to resolve the issue that they have. And uh, the, 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 the comment, the way that was made, uh, he don't know there was a Venezuelan priest or was born a Venezuelan priest and a, a, a priest who is working or trying to help this community in this situation. But what I said is that we have the tendency to don't see the pura what he, it is. So we don't see what, what, what Jesus got presented to us. And as this happened to my colleague, happened to the many people. So my, my, my important call is give dignity because God give dignity to everyone. And our poor people is in need that we recognize as a person and um, be held up as a person and uh, love as a person and so on and so forth. And that, that, that made me to rethink my theology and rethink the way I do liturgy, rethink everything. Because we, we have the tendency that this melody poor is no, is something that I don't like. Yeah, or, or the seal, or how we see the poor in the streets, something like we don't like. But it's not about we don't like, it's not about the gospel. It's not about how God asking you to do and do with love and passion. And that's the, the gift for me to see Saturday to help people is to make my life more, more in tune with the gospel. And I try to teach my parishioners that. And every week, every day, you see poor people giving him clothes and things to help the people who are coming Saturday. I do believe that it's a, like a calling for everyone to go back to the fundamental of the gospel, which is love and justice. That you basically you chose called that way, it's, uh, something like that, right? And so I, I do believe that in Santa Teresa, in this situation, we had the opportunity to rethink the way we engage the gospel in New York, basically. Well, Father Alex Petitis, thank you so much. Not so much for taking the few minutes to be with us on Just Love, although I am appreciative of that, but just for your dedication for your being part of that community, for bringing a ministry of Jesus in that community and looking to expand that and to do even more. And so thank you so much for what you're doing. And on a personal note, I just really uh, am looking forward to collaborating even more as we go forward and trying to figure this out. How do we as a church communicate the love of Jesus even better, taking advantage of the limited but real resources yeah, exactly. that we all have. Exactly. I thank you from the bottom of my heart as a priest in New York to, to, 
you know, have this sense of, of help and, and, and um, solidarity from your organization is, is, is very important for me and for the poor people in, in, in the Lower East Side. So, Father Alex, before I let you go, to all of our listeners who are out there, would you kind of give them a prayer and a blessing to uh, as you end your interview? Oh, sure. Um, may, may the God bless you, that you are, give you the strength, wisdom, always to serve him with a profound love. See justice, the path of everything that God is asking you to do in this world that is so complex. And find in the Virgin Mary the inspiration to sustain our effort, the in and the out. And we will never forget that when we are in these great battles, always the Lord is with us. And we know this is so important that we always think that he is in, among us doing what we do. So thank you for everyone and God bless everyone. Father Alex Bastidas, pastor of St. Teresa Parish, a priest who was born in Venezuela and now in New York, ministering through his parish community, volunteers, and other groups, to those seeking safety and from the persecution, the poverty in uh, Venezuela, now trying to make a new home in New York. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks. Okay. Tom, I think we will take a break, and we will be back in a moment. Just love. Just love God. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself. And our world will be more just, and it will be more compassionate. This is the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM Let's get back to Just Love and your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan.
Just Love. I'm Monsignor Kevin Sullivan. This is our weekly conversation about the church in the world. We look at what's going on through our values. And when we look at those values, although we come from our Catholic Christian perspective, we basically deal with a world which is filled with people of different religions, of different ethnicities, people from different countries, of different language, people who are have more resources, those have less. And what we try to do is to kind of say, well, how do our Catholic values interact with that? And quite frankly, one of the religious groups that we have an incredibly close affinity with is the Jewish community. And particularly at this time of the year, we are very, very aware that the Jewish community begins its new year by celebrating Rosh Hashanah, and then within a week or two after that, then celebrate uh, the most holy day of Yom Kippur. So I am delighted that uh, we have on a guest as the Jewish New Year is coming up on uh, January 20, uh, I'm sorry, on September 25th. Um, Our guest is uh, Eti Faba, who was born in uh, Morocco of Jewish immigrants. She immigrated to to Israel and now is living in in Florida. And I'm delighted that she's with us to share kind of a little bit about these upcoming um, religious holidays, but a lot more from her own own experience. Um, Eti Faber, thank you so much for being with us on Just Love. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. So I did just a little bit of a intro to our audience, but why don't you uh, give our audience a little bit of your own uh, background and uh, so they get to know you a little bit more as we kind of talk about some of the topics we are going to. Okay, so I just want to make a little correction that I was born in Israel. Uh, My parents, grandparents were born in Morocco. Okay. Uh, in the city of Miknas, and I go way back in generation in Morocco as a Jewish uh, family. Uh, so I was born in Israel, uh, studied in Israel, well, went to Tel Aviv University, finished my degrees in biblical studies and Hebrew literature. I was teaching uh, in Israel and in the United States. Then um, moved to Michigan when helped my husband with his medical practice. I had an Indian restaurant and currently I live in Florida as a realtor. I live and do real estate. <laughs> well, that Eddie, that is just great. But I got to ask, okay, why an Indian restaurant? You know, I live in a small town in Michigan. So first of all, I love cooking and I really want people to be exposed to different ethnic and I love Indian food, and there is a big population in Indian and Pakistani food. And I just decided to open an Indian restaurant, which <laughs> is funny. So I, I got to ask you, was it successful? It was very successful. I run the restaurant about five years, and I sold it, and actually it's still standing in Saginaw, Michigan. It's called Kebab and Curry House. So it was not closed. I sold it, and it's still working. Ah, well, congratulations. And I don't know about, I don't know about Michigan, but I do know about New York. 
I think for every restaurant that makes it in New York, I think 10 fail. So good job and congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> well, and just between us, um, I really like people who like Indian food because um, not everybody does. And, and so kind of when if you're going out to dinner in New York, you kind of feel the the waters with another person and you say, well, how about Indian? And, you know, sometimes you get a response. Eh, I don't I like know. curry. I don't like this. It's too hot or something like that. But when you find somebody who likes it, you just kind of jump on that and you have somebody who who really likes it. So congratulations on your success. I agree. Totally. Thank you. <laughs> so listen, could you help educate our listeners a little bit? Because um, while I think most Americans are familiar, um, they, they obviously know the Jewish religion, mm -hmm. they know of Israel, they know the Jewish community, but <clears throat> there may be some things that I think are important to the Jewish community and some phrases that maybe our listeners would like to know a little bit more about. And the first one I'm going to ask you about is because you mentioned that your parents mm -hmm. were born in Morocco. Mm -hmm. And so tell us a little bit about that phrase, the Jewish diaspora. So Yes, so my parents born in Morocco, and I think for the most audience, you know, for many, many people, Jewish person, it's a Jewish person. But within the Judaism, we almost divide the society into two. We have an Ashkenazi Jews, and we have Sephardic Jews, and Sephardic coming from the word Spanish, and I am a pretty much a Spanish Jew. We also look different, you know, we kind of like darker looking, you know, darker, dark eyes, for the most part, Ashkenazi Jew will come from Eastern Europe, you know, it can be Russia, Romania, Hungary, and we have a completely almost like a different cuisine, different uh, way of even celebrating the holidays, the chanting is different, you know, the way, even bar mitzvah, there is a different, if you, when I used to prepare children, uh, to a Sephardic chanting or Ashkenazi chanting, it's completely different. It's almost like two different cultures. And for my part, you know, Morocco, it's a Muslim country. So there is definitely assimilation. Definitely, we eat Moroccan food. We eat uh, spicy food. We love to listen to Arabic music. Uh, it's, it's really like almost like two different, I don't want to say two different worlds, but it's almost, it is. Ah, so it's very, very different. Thank you. That is very, that's very helpful. Now, again, um, I'm going to test your history because I don't know it. Sure. Um, so you mentioned, I'm going to call them branches, but the two different um, branches of the Jewish community. Mm -hmm. How did that come? How did that come to be? So the, before 1948, before Israel established in the modern world, because, you know, for me, of course, Israel was there all the time. Right. But before 1948, the Jews were spread all over the world, right. all over the world. I mean, you're talking about Europe, Africa, Morocco, it's Northern Africa. So we were even India there. My brother is married to a, a Jewish girl that the ancestors are Indian. 
So, um, you know, so we have Jews from all over. When we came to Israel, we, you know, we started like having these terms, you know, I'm a Sephardic Jews just because of my ancestors. And when we say Sephardic, Sephardic coming from the word Sfarad. Sfarad means Spain. And I believe that we go back to the Spain Inquisition because you would ask yourself what Jewish people are doing in the Muslim world. Um, so I am going back to the Spain Inquisition. Right. The Ashkenazi Jews, which is more my husband, is from like the parents, the grandparents of my husband coming from Lutuvenia, Russia. Okay. So okay. that's how that came. And okay. now when we live in Israel, people still, you know, some people even complain about discrimination. So we also have those issues, just like in the United States. Uh, some people, be- we had like, for example, the Panther movement. We had, you know, people still complain in 2022 about discrimination uh, of the Spanish Jews in Israel. Okay. So let me now go to the other thing, because you talked about it, the difference almost being a different mm-hmm. culture. Correct. Now, again, again, for to help our listeners understand a little bit, um, mm-hmm. and I mean, I know a little bit, so I'm going to tease this up for you. You mentioned, sure. I think you went to university in Tel Aviv. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people talk about secular Jews, cultural Jews, religious mm-hmm. Jews, mm-hmm. different parts of Israel, Tel Aviv, Jerusalem. Could you share a little bit of that uh, with our listeners? Sure. So Israel, like everybody, you know, every other place in the world have like secular, religious, orthodox, you know, reform uh, all that stuff. Tel Aviv University definitely considered a, a you know, secular university. When I study biblical studies in Tel Aviv University is definitely from a secular point of view. It's not a godly, you know, it's more scientific book rather than godly. But coming from the background that I have, my parents were religious, strictly kosher in the house. Uh, we have the book of the Kabbalah above my bed growing up. Uh, so I study it from a secular point of view, but my heart is definitely, we call ourselves traditionals, which means that if you're going to look at me and many other people like me, we look like very modern. We don't have the yamaka, you know, now nobody on my family walk with a yamaka or kind of look religion, but we strictly observe the Jewish uh, holidays and the Jewish kitchen which means that we keep kosher. Okay. So, so we're speaking with, um, with somebody who was born of Moroccan Jewish parents. She grew up in, in Israel. We're speaking with Eti Faba. And so Eti, as we are coming up upon the, uh, the holy days, how will you and your family celebrate these Jewish holy days this year? So um, this year, uh, I'm starting on Sunday. Sunday, it's the starting of the Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish holiday. Um, And it's not just the beginning of the Jewish New Year. According to Judaism, we started counting history, which means we started counting the creation from from Adam and Eve, from the creation of humanity. So it's not from day number one to the creation. It's from day number six. 
just yeah. to make that you know clear because I know even among Jews that they are kind of confusing that term. So Eddie, so Eddie if I might, if I might, sure. I know we're talking about a very serious topic, but, but you know, quite frankly, the difference between day one and day two, thousands of years later is kind of a rounding error. Uh, so mm-hmm. it depends how we see that, you know, in the Kabbalah, in the Jewish mysticism, the, from day number one till day number five, it's not the same time that we yeah. look at it in 2022, which means it's not a 24 hours day. Right. The time was different. The time that we are looking at now, that's why in Judaism it's 5779, it's from day number six. That's when we started counting history. And okay. the other dates, it's a long discussion and maybe one day I can come yeah. in. <laughs> okay. But the way that I celebrate, we uh, have, um, so obviously we have, we go to the temple, we blowing the shofar, we have a Rosh Hashanah meal that consists of certain ceremony and food. Uh, we bless for the challah, for the bread, and we light the candles. And we have a very set of prayers that we have to follow. Uh, just to mention before Rosh Hashanah, 30 days before, there is some ceremonies that we wake up in the middle of the night till the morning and we ask him for forg- forgiveness. And it's a beautiful sight in Jerusalem, uh, if ever in a month, the month of uh, before Rosh Hashanah uh, to go and just experience that. Okay. Um, and then after Rosh Hashanah, Mm-hmm. Um, within the next two weeks, ten days, ten de- yeah, is Yom Kippur. Say a little bit right. about that for our listeners. So you know, beside the idea that we, you know, the month before, it's called the month of Elul, that we are in preparation because uh, to Rosh Hashanah and then to Yom Kippur, God gave us from Rosh Hashanah another opportunity, ten days. And it's called 10 days autonomy, rapidness. We're asking for forgiveness because we believe that in Yom Kippur, your destiny for the next year is sealed. And when I say destiny, it's in health, death, uh, 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 marriage, uh, you know, um, you know, if you're going to get married, if you're going to die, you know, what's going to be your occupation, uh, everything it's sealed for the next year. So you have 10 days from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur to still ask God maybe to still change your destiny. Yeah. And so th- this is a very interesting kind of theological point to me mm-hmm. is how much, what is the role of free will? In other words, is it all set and you just have to go with it? Or can is there human agency that the person can do to affect their destiny? So I believe that um, obviously there is a free will. I mean, without God could have been by himself in the world, but he created uh, humanity. So we have this connection between the human being and God. Uh, what he, I mean, I believe that in Judaism, there is always, always, always a chance. God always, always, always give us a change to, to change ourselves and become a better person. And, you know, 
but this is the this is also on the other hand it's kind of extreme that yes it's sealed on yom kippur till the next year but it's not sealed for life i mean let's okay. say if if you are alive so other stuff were sealed right you are not married the following year right. but then you have the chance to do it again okay so all right listen Eti Faba, you have been so generous with your time, and I have learned a, a, a tremendous amount by just this brief conversation. I hope that you'll come back and speak with us again sometime. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> Good. Well, thank you so much. I'm so glad that one of our colleagues, um, Luz Tavares, ran into you in Florida, and uh, thanks for your, your openness to being with us on Just Love and let me wish you a very, very happy and blessed holy days as the new year begins. Thank you so much and blessing to everybody on the show and everybody and everywhere around the world. Thank you. Okay. Esther Etifaba, who was born in Israel to Moroccan Jewish parents, shared with us a little bit of the experience of her faith and we're delighted that she did. Tom will take a break. Just love, just love God, just love your neighbor. Our world will be more just and more compassionate. We'll be back in just a moment on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.
Just do it. Just love. Just check out Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, who's here right now. Take it away, Monsignor. Hey, thank you for being with us on Just Love this week. Two interesting guests, Tom. Thank you for that. Let me encourage you to uh, listen again next week when we're going to be talking about a very, very difficult problem, substance abuse in the United States. And we're going to talk about um, respect life, but from the perspective of a little bit of history that is not terribly uh, good. Some of the eugenic laws that were in place in North Carolina, our guest who herself was a victim of those. So please join us again next week on the Catholic Channel. Just love, just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself. Our world will be more just. It will be more compassionate. The Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. You're listening to The Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.